What if our collective imaginations could shape better realities where we live? What if listening to others' stories could help us learn together as communities? What if spaces for listening, sharing and dreaming could ignite real social change? Welcome to Dream Space. Listen, share, dream. Welcome everyone. I'm Bex, member of the Dream Space Bath Crew, and I will be your host for this episode, Life in Bath and the Climate and Ecological Crisis. In this episode, we're going to listen to some of the amazing climate stories that were shared with Dream Space towards the end of last year. The majority of which actually came through our online climate gathering, which was an open mic style Zoom event where we brought together a real range of people from across the city to explore what it's like to live in this climate emergency and right here in Bath. And actually, this was something I hosted and I loved it. I've been involved in the local climate movement here in the city for about the last five years. And I thought I had a pretty good handle on what was happening locally, but actually I learned so much. And so whether you've been involved in climate action for a while or whether you are just starting to get curious about what's going on in here in the city, this episode is a perfect space for you to discover really what it's like to be part of this movement. The good stuff, the tough stuff, and also the amazing hope and possibility that exists, which I realise can almost feel a bit impossible to hold on to at this time because the pandemic has disconnected us all. It has prevented us from taking to the streets or maybe feeling like we can make our voices heard in the way that we would like. So this is what this podcast is all about, allowing you to discover what is happening in Bath, hopefully finding stories that resonate with you personally and inspiring and empowering more people to get involved in this really wonderful movement that we have here. We're now going to delve into the first selection of stories, I'll then meet you in the middle for a quick break. We'll then come together at the end to recap on what we've heard. And I'll also use that time to tell you a bit more about what DreamSpace has in store for 2021. So let's listen to this first selection of climate stories. Um, So this is a very bathy, naturey poem. Um, It was written as part of the Bath Artists and Writers Group who are lovely, um, really talented writers. Um, I haven't been able to do much with them uh, recently. Well, <laughs> wouldn't have been able to anyway. Um, I definitely brought down the average uh, average age a little bit. And they're all very, very talented group. Um, it's called Forget the Universe. Nice bold title for you. Forget the Universe. It is too big to comprehend. Forget the rest of the planet. It contains as many worlds as the rest of outer space. Think of this our Somerset, our portion of reality. The woods from Smallcombe to Bathampton, our panoramic tree line, our golden limestone buildings, our unique volcanic aquifer, the fountains of Sulis heated by Bellus. Water and sun in unison. Imagine those waters drowned. Thousands of years of healing, worship, pleasure. Sinking under an assault of silt. A seven river bore that doesn't stop. 
the floods, the levels and the valleys and sends us all rushing up to Kelston Hill, once the meeting place of the stallions, a place to muster when invaded. But instead of a marauding horde, it would be ourselves that caused the surge of bloated waters. Each light left on, each piece of plastic thrown away, each short haul flight. Each time we had a choice to speak for the trees that have no voices of their own except their symphony when stirred by wind. And yet whose breath is our breath whose fruit is our food, and yet we take the chainsaw to and clear for houses, cattle, palm oil crops. And even if we don't lift the saw ourselves, even if we keep our oaks and plains in bath, if we don't find out where our food is from, aren't we also felling trees in Myanmar? And now the water's rising, and we'll come to this, our city. And what can we, this eccentric group of arty folk, do to turn the tide? Speak. So I'm part of the Two Fulfilled um, community as well. Um, definitely new to um, activism. I'm not, I don't even know if I am an activist. I'm, just trying to work that out, but definitely feel like I'm at the beginning of something. Um, 2020 has been uh, a year where I feel like I've been smacked around the chops really with a big fat kipper, um, COVID and the climate. And it's causing a, a, a quite a rethink of values and what's important. Um, COVID's for another day. Climate's what we're here to talk about tonight um and i've heard some really amazing inspiring things this evening i think the two fulfilled for me is is my is quite micro it's on our doorstep and it's something we can do do something about what's really motivating me and challenging me is that it's a site of scientific national interest it, it has that official title because of the tufa, which is a naturally occurring water source that comes up at the top of the field, cascades its way down and disappears again underground. And as a result of that, you get naturally occurring flora, fauna, mineral deposits. You cannot create, man cannot go and recreate a tufa somewhere else. And yet, despite of you know, despite the fact that the site is uh, rare and uh, recognised as such, um, that is compromised um, for building development. And even though the building development could go ahead with significantly less housing and protect the tufa, that option hasn't been progressed or explored. Um, and so I've been really taken aback that despite there being a lot of evidence tabled and actually I think, and I, you know, we're trying to substantiate this, but possibly um, perhaps not the level of due diligence in terms of hydrology, the water sources, in terms of the destruction of the tufa, perhaps we don't think there's been enough due diligence. To, and despite all of that, 
and there being a climate um, crisis declared in Bath, just weeks later, there was a conversation where, well, we know that and we know that, but we're going to put it through anyway and risk the, the, the twofer. And I think that for me, I just can't get my head around that, um, where we could do something a bit differently. We could change up the plans. We could not do it and turn it perhaps into some sort of nature reserve, some sort of educational space for kids in the local area. I don't know that it just feels there has to be a better way that enables you know, human beings to have homes, but for us to look after the environment as well. And I'm just, I'm still quite, I, as I say, 2020 has been a bit of a year for everyone, but I just feel a bit shocked at the moment. And so I'm sensing that maybe I'm at, at the beginning of something that other people on here are just a bit further ahead. So yeah, and as um, uh, David said earlier, if we're doing our best. We've got ourselves in the Bath Crawl. We've been on our ITV News. We've had various meetings. We've made, we think, a little bit of progress in that we have got a commitment from the council leader to have a look at a bit more detail as to what's going on. But it's still on the plan and it's still got planning approval for 40 homes and it isn't that big a site. So if anyone can help, if anyone has any suggestions, um, I should give a shout out to Extinction, Extinction Rebellion. A couple of those guys have helped, um, but we feel we need to do more. We feel we need to keep the dialogue going. Um, so yeah, if anyone can help, that would be uh, much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to Dream Space. What are you dreaming for the future? So some of you guys may have seen on our website, we have um, shared our own stories, um, either directly relating to the three issues that we're um, uh, exploring through Dream Space or maybe a little bit about why we chose to get involved. And um, I've shared mine, but I actually just want to go a little bit deeper into, um, I guess, my motivation for getting involved in Dream Space. And I'd be really interested to know your thoughts as to whether anyone else has kind of felt the way I have as well. Um, so um, I guess just to get right to it, um, I've been involved in green community action for the last five years. I didn't really start until I moved to Bath. Um, my job in London before was kind of insane. I had no time. Um, and, um, and I was super, super energised when I came to Bath. Everyone's absolutely lovely, so friendly. Um, just got to know people really, really quickly. Everyone was like, oh, you must meet this person. You must meet this person. And uh, I was really, really excited. And that energy kind of stayed with me for a good few years. But I do remember someone saying something to me when I first came. I said, oh, it's really good you're um, passionate about the environment. It won't last. And I thought, what a bizarre thing to say to somebody who's just starting out with a green volunteer project. <laughs> like cheers man um but I have to say that over the last couple of years um he was right um I felt really numb I feel like the climate narrative in the media is broken um that we are bombarded with incredibly incredibly negative headlines and I found my brain going yeah no ice in the arctic this year that's a shame um, like I just felt like it was just tra too traumatic, you know, watching, I don't know if you guys watched um, the One Planet series on Netflix with David Attenborough. It was amazing. But the episode with the walruses jumping off a cliff was just uh, a bit too much for me. And um, and I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, I just felt like my brain had just gone, no, this is 
huge switch off can't deal with this anymore this is too hard this is too huge uh the ipcc report came out when i was pregnant so there's the whole like oh my god what have i done i brought a child into the world this was a terrible terrible thing to do um and i still don't know how i feel about that choice now um because things tend to be getting um from bad to worse and i i i don't know i just felt like i couldn't really engage with stuff anymore and I felt that passion, that real fire inside me had gone when I look back on old Facebook posts, you know, being like, screw you, Shell, when I was volunteering with Greenpeace. It just died. Um, but happily, um, I went along to the youth climate strikes in Bath and that completely changed my mind. Um, it was I don't know if you guys were there. Raise of hands if you went to, along to the marches that happened in Bath. Um they were amazing and the energy and the enthusiasm and the numbers of people um it just felt like finally i felt a bit more empowered and and i know we've got a long way to go and i know that biden coming in is a great step but it's not the solution and that there's lots of more things that need to happen but i finally felt a bit more part of a i guess like that our community of green people in the city was connected to a much bigger one and that's why i wanted everyone you know, my own personal way wanted everyone to come along this evening because I want more people to understand what's happening on a local level, because I feel if you get involved with the local action, you feel like you are making progress and that things can happen and actually change happens on a local level first. So I would really like to see the narrative around climate, the climate crisis change. I think Extinction Rebellion did an amazing job. Same with Greta, getting it on the headlines, mainstream media, you can't ignore it anymore. It's not one of those awkward things that no one wants to talk about. It's like tough, but I feel like we do also need to balance it um, and celebrate the amazing work that's happening. And I've had a lot of calls with people um, whilst I've been sort of helping get people along to this event and Michaela, you know, you'll chat and you'll talk about what you're doing with the council um, soon, hopefully. And uh, I just feel like more people need to know about this so that they feel more empowered and inspired. So um, yeah, that's just what I wanted to share, that if you are in that place where I was, I feel like hopefully this project will help you come out of it and onto the other side. So yeah, that's my story. Um, I've been um, kind of, I would call myself accidentally green, not so much green because that's where I started from. Um, when I when I first met Vip, which I think was about 2015, and consider him to be one of my best friends, um, he said to me, I said, I had to introduce myself and I went, I'm a single issue campaigner. All I'm in is interested in is cycling. That's it. Yeah. And that that's what I where I started from. And and I think everybody who lives in Bath goes on a journey or you do in your life and you kind of have different experiences and the people you meet and they change your perception and, and your life. And I've ended up kind of in this sort of weird space where, um, yeah, I'm sort of partially responsible for a beautiful bridge that's just gone in on, on, on down there. Um, I, I was kind of cajoled in 2014, at the end of 2014 by Nigel Roberts to organize all the cycle bath lot to put together a bid for the Cycle City Ambition Grant. We ended up winning 3.8 million pounds. Uh, uh, 700,000 pounds went on the towpath. So now it's you can use it in all weathers. Um, and then disappointingly, the two other bridges that we were supposed to get was going to be, um, couldn't be built. So there's going to be a new one down at Halfpenny and another one, uh, the old Locksbrook Bridge, which is behind 
um, the kind of Rosebery Place development the student that there. And uh, we ended up having to kind of agree that the money could be spent on a, on this um, bridge that, that they'd had a competition for, um, but they didn't have quite the money to build it. And um, there we are. So um, in my house, it's known as Adams Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then on top of that, yeah, um, uh, you may have heard of the thing like livable neighborhoods and the kind of the framework that the city's kind of trying to work towards to kind of empower communities to kind of change, uh, yeah, take ownership of their road space and their residential areas. And in 2018, I did a kind of um, TEDx on low traffic neighborhoods. Um, talk in Bath and kind of got invited and by then I'd kind of like that was my journey I was beginning to think less about just cycling but more about how people live the society we live in and, and how how we can create uh, a more I guess egalitarian or um, not equal I think that um, equality is different to um, equitable so an equitable society uh, where you can where people don't feel trapped by you know um, and Okay, uh, that sort of yeah that's I, this, I don't know if anybody's heard of the social model of disability which is the idea that society restricts you it's not that you um so a curb people understand will stop a wheelchair yeah but a busy road also stops somebody walking across it it will stop somebody cycling down it that does that that sort of thing and so we've created a society where there's a lot of people that are kind of trapped by what society has provided and, you know, fast roads and hostile environments. And, um, yeah, so, um, and, and so I've accidentally sort of ended up in a space where I'm, I'm sort of changing Bath in weird ways I'd never thought I would. And um, please enjoy them and please, but I would say with the livable neighbourhoods, it is, it is basically community empowerment. It is not, this council will not go, um, go and say, here you are, let's do this. It is down to you as communities to organize yourselves and say, you know what, we want to make our residential area better and then kind of work with your local ward councillors, design something and then play with your streets and come up with a better space where, you know, kids can play out and, um, and not feel afraid of, of cars. And that's pretty much where I've ended up. Um, so it would have been a great idea to read the format first before Dan, uh, before I agreed to Dan's phone call yesterday. Um, so I was going to tell a tale as I'm quite interested in storytelling, but I'll save you that. Um, because the, the format, it seems a good opportunity to kind of plug, um, some ideas I have for a project. Um, yeah, so, uh, my, my journeys, I've, I've worked in, uh, tree surgery and conservation since for years like the last couple of decades um, then started to retrain as a forest school leader um, a number of years ago so I work on a couple of projects around Bristol uh, one at Lee Court Farm and then recently um, we've set up a project at Willsbridge Mill and that's kind of where my passion lies so I've had the kind of fortune um, to work in the natural world for, for a number of years. So I feel very familiar in that setting and privileged to work in that setting um, because I feel comfortable in the natural world. And it's a kind of rarity that people have the opportunity to find that comfort. Um, so that's one of the kind of ingredients that I try and bring into forest school in the projects. 
um, as well as, you know, the role of orality um, to kind of kindle a child's imagination, uh, craft, um, again, to work, you know, tacitly with their hands in the natural world. Um, so I studied... So, I mean, I, I don't really use the term of, of climate crisis and it's not because I don't agree with it. It's because a number of years ago, I realised it was a kind of lack of intimacy and relationship with the natural world. So for me, it's that's that's one of the my driving passions is to kind of reignite intimacy and relationship. So from that kind of foundation then we would have an opportunity to love the natural world, to love the diverse beings, etc., um, and to take care of it. So that's why I think it's so important to work with the young the youngsters because they're obviously the ones to come. And if we could ignite that passion in them, then you know that's that's a good thing to do. So one of so I studied an MA. Um, a couple of years ago in myth and cosmology and my dissertation was the role of orality uh, and the imaginal um, to develop a kind of emotional literacy in children but one of the key factors is in a natural environment um, to kind of cement a sense of wonder a sense of place in a child um, and then the relationship with with story with narrative so they can um, express or develop their emotional literacy through folk tales, fairy tales, and later grand myths as it would kind of go on. So towards the latter part of last year, I wanted to launch a project in Bath. Um, and obviously the world's changed. <laughs> um, but, but also uh, another one, an opportunity fell on my lap with Willsbridge Mill um, on the edge of Bristol, Keensham. So I've kind of just um, been pursuing that, setting up a forest school there. But again, it's it's with a foundation of orality and story, um, which I just think is a vital ingredient for the children. Um, and I, I really am looking for a place around Bath um, to kind of create this project here. Um, and one of one of the key ingredients is a kind of the, the 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 location the site the hub of it would be slightly out of the city to kind of generate um an understanding of severance so to use the natural world in a to use the word a ritual process not to scare anyone but um a, a severance from um the society norms into a into a place of change a liminal space and then to return so then we the children could return to our communities return to their families um inspired uh, encouraged and with a slightly more intimate relationship with the natural world so i thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of put it out there and to see if anyone would be willing to help me with that endeavor um yeah and that was that really was that rambling? Hey, my name's Dominic Tristram. Um, I've been interested in the environment for a number of years. I grew up in Newbury where there was a big bypass and a big old kerfuffle about that in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, got me aware of it, but I always had um, 
a slightly hippie-ish mum. We were always recycled and just I was brought up thinking that was important. Um, and I lived in West Wales for seven years and uh, lived near the Centre for Alternative Technology and I could see that actually it was possible uh, even back in the, uh, well, say even in the, in the mid-90s, it was obvious that we could live sustainably. So when I moved to Bath in the year 2000, I thought um, I wanted to continue my journey into trying to encourage a sustainable society. Um, joined some environmental groups, started going to green drinks and that sort of thing, um, but quickly realised that actually without political action, there's not really going to be any any real action. Um, so I looked at the big parties and I thought, well, they say the right things, but really, if you're going to be committed to something, you need to support it and fight for a party that's going to do uh, actually believe in what it says and do what it says. Um, whatever the odds might seem when it comes to success, and that's like the environmental movement all around, really. Um, it seems like people aren't with you, and then if you fight hard enough, people will join you, and uh, and things happen. So um, I decided to get into politics uh, and stand as a candidate in local and general elections. Uh, if nothing else, it's a good platform for standing up and saying that this is how society should be. And that was a lonely platform for some time. It was only my party that was really saying anything about the environment. And as recently as 2015, we're the only people saying, hey, you know, fracking is bad, and that sort of thing. But things have moved on, uh, and the movement's become much wider. Um, it doesn't mean I, I don't still see a need for an environmental party, and it's not to me to tell you how to vote, but I think when you do vote, and voting is important, then you should really vote for people who mean what they say. And don't let anyone tell you that your voice won't make any difference, whether it's uh, in protest or voting, because actually, once you get a critical mass of people who believe something's important, the things changes can happen. Um, and, you know, we went from pretty much a very minor political force, and then in 2015, we got our first two councillors in Bath, so shows change can happen. Um, I think it's very important to stand up for what you believe. Don't let anyone tell you that what you believe is unimportant or is unrealistic. And um, always act in a way that is true to yourself. Hi. Um, this is a bit of a low-key hello after James and Francis. But um, hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm a, a very low-key local activist. Um, I, I work in international development and uh, worked on uh, climate change projects for years and years um, trying to get uh, the EU and Africa to, to talk more and to share information on climate change and various other areas like trade and uh, cyber security and that kind of thing. But um, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really realised what a catastrophic um, thing this is. So uh, uh, since then, it sort of coincided with maternity leave for me and I didn't kind of know what to do from there. So I joined some of the groups in Bath um, and I found them massively welcoming, which is amazing. Um, and started a bit of a, an eco blog just to try and share information to um, sort of busy parents and busy people that might just want to sign the odd petition here or there. We'll find out what Fridays for Future are up to next and Extinction Rebellion. Um, and now I kind of um, help out with the Extinction Rebellion social media. Um, my fear, nobody's talked about this yet, but is that 
maybe there's just a little bit of a lack of knowledge about what the actual impact is going to be for everyone and what the um, the impact is now for a lot of people which worries me I know um there's a lot of groups focusing on this at the moment and I think that's amazing but maybe on a local level it's really hard to to reach out to people and um maybe uh, talk to people about that without scaring them and making them think that oh no it's Charlie and Adungas again run <laughs> hide your plastic that kind of thing oh yeah I run plastic free campaign as well so um yeah that's one of my fears but one of my hopes is that um covid's obviously shown that we can we can change things really quickly businesses in bath have reacted we've changed our lifestyles really quickly to a crisis and and we can do it again and this was obviously as everybody knows that's here is you know the crisis of our lifetime so i've got two young kids and uh i'm gonna be doing this for the foreseeable so um if anybody does want any support or I can do anything to help any other campaigns or just to flag them on my small blogs and things, then just give me a shout. And also on Extinction Rebellion um, sites. And also just to say, everybody at Extinction Rebellion is massively friendly and welcoming. So if you're sort of just entering into the climate, climate sphere and a bit of activism, then come on touch base there's growing groups there's all sorts of different aspects to it so please don't be intimidated you don't have to be sort of getting arrested to be a really big part of um of of the group so that's me and hi and it's so nice to see everybody and thank you for this opportunity to to meet so many people it's really really fab you're listening to dream space what are you dreaming for the future Hi everyone, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. We've listened to these stories many, many times and I think each time something different has spoken to us. And I think what we're really looking for now is to know how these stories have impacted our listeners. So if you have something you would like to share with us, maybe it's something that has stood out to you listening to these stories, something that is surprising you or challenging you, or something you want to know more about, it would be brilliant if you could share your thoughts using the hashtag DreamSpaceBath so we can keep this conversation going and also keep this project alive because we want to allow more stories in the city to emerge so that they can reconnect us all and empower us all to create the change that we want to see. So we're now going to go into the second selection of stories and I'll meet you at the end. Yeah, so I, um, my green journey, I suppose, started in 2016. And I think it was, I can't remember the exact like chain of events, but it was to do with Trump and him leaving or announcing that he was going to leave the um, Paris Climate Agreement. And I just felt really helpless. And I felt like, right, it's time, like, I need to do something now. Like, I can't sit back, even if that's something small. Um and I don't know why, but Greenpeace was the sort of organisation that I thought of. First of all, I googled what was local and it happened that Greenpeace was. And that's actually how I ended up meeting Bex. So I went to the, the monthly meeting um, that Greenpeace help, still hold now. But at the time it was in um, Bath Brew House. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we just had a really good discussion. And there's still two members that I met that night that um, I work really close with. Well, 
volunteer closely with today. So it's been four years since I started volunteering with Greenpeace. Um, one of the things I do is sort of, I guess, digital campaigning. So we do a lot of our campaigns from Greenpeace HQ, sort of, we do things in person, although not so much now, but we did do things in person. And then the impact came as a result of the, the sort of digital responses we would get. So getting images and um, <clears throat> posting them online on social media and um, mentioning the companies that were responsible for certain things um, would have like a really big impact. And alongside that, we do street campaigning. <clears throat> so I thought I'd just um, share some of the campaigns we've worked on with Greenpeace. It does tend to be um, um, global issues, um, but sometimes they're filtered down to become local ones as well. Um, so since I've been volunteering with Greenpeace, we've done campaigns on forests or rather deforestation, um, oceans. In particular, we had a really successful campaign with um, to do with krill oil and um, sort of marine ecosystems. Um, we targeted Holland and Barrett. So we did some stickering in store. Um, <laughs> Bex probably remembers it. I think you might have been one of the people that did it. Um, and yeah, we got some really great images and we basically, um, I don't want to say hounded, but we um, were very persistent in how we um, spoke to Holland and Barrett online. And actually, as a result of the Greenpeace campaign, and by the way, these are sort of done around the country. So Greenpeace Bath will do it in Bath. Greenpeace Bristol will do it in Bristol and so on. Um, but as a result of that campaign, they took krill oil off their shelves. So that was like a really big win for us because it felt like a tangible thing that we'd done that had contributed to that. Um, other things we've done have been to do with um, oil pipelines. Um, we've done local river cleanups along the Bath River. Um, we've taken part in like festivals. We've done street campaigning where we try to engage with the public. Um, and then most recently has been the transport campaign. So um, it's really varied. And if you have an interest in one of those, um, those things, if you're interested in Greenpeace, like you can sort of, that can be your focus. Um, one of the things that I wanted to say, and it's, I don't know if this is really for discussion, but one of the things that I've found particularly hard, and I think it's probably something that lots of people in this community have found, is when you try and talk to people that don't already have an interest in it, it's not a priority for them, and that's really hard to accept. Because be, to me, when I'm doing street campaigning, like I really want to engage with many, as many people as possible, and when people say they haven't got time or um whatever it's just kind of that's one of the things that's really hard to hard to swallow sometimes um but overall I've had a really really positive experience with Greenpeace I've been to the HQ in London a couple of times um for training events and things like that so I'm MVDA trained which means non-violent direct action um and I just always come away feeling really empowered with their mission and the new things that they're trialing and things like that um yeah, and I've met loads of really interesting people through doing it as well. So that's my story. <laughs> Hi, Dreamspace. Uh, my name's George, and I thought I'd share my story and my thoughts with you about the uh, the three or so things you were trying to look at with your project. My story is that, as I said, I've been in and around Bath for most of my life. I've now been part of uh, like the environmentalist community for a fairly short time. But as a student, potentially going into professional world of environmentalism, marine conservation in particular, 
I've noticed a huge disparity between, like, with regards to the representation of different cultures in environmentalism. Marine science in particular, I can't speak for all of them. Um, I've always been slightly aware of this, but none more so than when I walked into my first my first day of my master's studies and um, I was the only person of colour um, and I speak to my lecturers and they say that out of all the people they know, these guys are professors have been working in this for three years. They only really know um, three people who are of colour kind of thing. Um, so there's quite a big disparity. Um, I think my background is kind of, because of it, I've been kind of oblivious to this pretty much my whole life. I feel like I occupied a space between black community and the white community and I kind of fit in the middle and kind of interchange because my parents are uh, one from the Caribbean and the other from, they're British. Um, but I've been raised in Bath and I've been raised in the countryside around Bath, which I would consider a very affluent area. So I've not really been aware of it so much um, until it was kind of staring me in the face. Maybe that's because of being in that situation and not being educated properly about that. I was, um, I was just, I guess, accommodationist kind of thing. I just didn't even realise there was an issue. Uh, it makes me wonder how fair envi environmentalism is and what has been causing the disparity within the community. Is it because minorities, um, people of minority backgrounds don't care? Is it because they don't feel welcome? Is it because they're not comfortably given the opportunity to be involved kind of thing or part of the picture? Um, and it's just, it's, it's a struggle for me because obviously being environment, environmentally uh, aware is inherently about being compassionate and it is a privilege, but the last thing it should be is exclusive. Um, those are just a couple of things I'm trying to explore at the moment. Um, there's no strict, obvious race-related issues that I've really come across, but there is something which was kind of brought to my attention clearly the other day, I guess, with race and environmentalism. Um, I often feel this sense of self-doubt, uh, I guess you could say imposter syndrome, being part of this environmentalist community, because when I walk into a room of environmental scientists or and there's no diverse representation or someone asks me who my environmental mentor is, and I couldn't give you the answer because... There literally is none. Um, it just makes you realise how far behind this kind of thing is. I can only speak for marine sciences and marine conservation, but I don't know what the rest of it's like. Um, so, yeah, but then in that same vein, it also gives me a massive amount of hope seeing the stuff that Dream Space and the community that you have of amazingly compassionate people try to do good, try to raise awareness, talk about this and bring the opportunity to sit at that table in five or ten years' time um, and make environmentalism about mobilising people to push them all forward, regardless of race, belief, identity, any of those things. Um, I personally think it's amazing to know that when you feel powerless or defeated, looking at the problems that we face, if it is race, um, environmentalism, COVID, the lockdown stuff, it's amazing to know that you have a community built on faith and you have a community that's willing to shoulder that that weight. Um, something I'd love to see is I'd love to see a space, specifically in Bath, because a space where there's an opportunity for young people to become comfortable with this, become part of this picture. Um, because when I was younger, it was never an opportunity for me. And I'm from a very, I would consider myself still privileged. Um, but as I said, I could kind of occupy that space between. So I kind of 
now and you really see both sides of those pictures and see where I was missing out. And I'd love to build that belief system for others to, to become part of. So yeah, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I sort of, I'm in my second year of uni. Um, I came to Bath last year, um, sort of off the back of the Fridays for Future uh, movement in London, uh, where I'd been to like several marches and went, I kind of want to see something more from, from my activism. I want to do more. Um, so I um, I got involved in the um, XR youth group that was been starting up and I've been coordinating that group ever since. Um, it's it's really interesting to me. I know this is about Bath and I will keep it that way, but like it's very different being in Bath and talking about environmental activism and being where I'm from in from where I'm from in London because I think there's a tendency, even myself, like here, where I, I talk about like polar bears and ice caps. Whereas when I'm back at home with my parents, I talk more about like people because it's the, it's where I'm from is a very working class area. It's like, it's not, it's not an affluent area. And if you're interested, it's really worth looking up the differences in like air quality, depending on how wealthy an area is in London. It's very strikingly like different how that works out. Um, but like growing up as a, as a, as a child in London, the number of classmates with breathing difficulties with asthma and, and other diseases um, because of the air quality in London. Um, and it's sort of means for me that my activism in Bath is less about, I, you know, I, I love me some animals. I love me some polar bears. I love me some of that, but it's, it all comes back to social justice. It all comes back to the fundamentals of Realistically, in Bath, we are not going to be the first affected. We are not the ones currently who are suffering from flooding and, um, you know, famine and like systematically terrible things that have been caused over centuries of colonisation and capitalism. And I think getting to the root of that is really difficult, but it's sort of, I don't quite know how to tackle it from my own little uh, bubble. But it's sort of such a massive system that trying to tackle it in any kind of detail can feel kind of hopeless at times. Um, and it's really nice to see everyone here because it kind of, we're not, this isn't, you know, a couple of people with some signs who then go home at the end of the day. This is a, a committed movement. And I, um, yeah, I really appreciate seeing everyone here. And please get in touch. <laughs> If you want support on local campaigns and things, uh, we're more than like more than happy to come and pitch up. Um, so I'm going going old school a bit, um, but linking back to the present, uh, the nature gods. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the sensation of being on a walk uh, and thinking, oh, I see why people used to believe in gods of nature because there's a sense of presence out there. And I feel like our detachment from that is probably part of the reason for cl uh, climate catastrophe. Because if you think the world is sacred, you're probably not going to set fire to it. Um, so I wrote this poem. 
No surprise that Inca, Egyptian, Greek, citizen of ancient Ur, all worship the son of king of the gods. What better symbol of the strength of light? No surprise they felt the urge to name the majestic and awful forces around them, to sing stories, carve idols, build temples to God and goddess of wind, earth and ocean. Stand on hill at dusk with sea in one direction and rolling chalky downs another. And tell me you don't feel a presence worthy of name and praise. The elation we feel when so impressed with span and sweep of elements comes from both awe at their force and recognition that we too have strength to swell and glide tower and shimmer, and many capacities as yet untapped in daily life. At times, on mountaintops, at sacred places, holy ceremonies, in company of people who are great and bring out greatness, or in a dark and silent room alone, I felt a part of a prayer to unnameable powers. No difference whether priest or worshipper, when to speak or hear, were both the same. Despite these feelings of connectedness, we talk of nature as if separate, but are animals and worse than other species. They have breeding seasons, eat their fill, not more than rest, while we consume until we've stripped surroundings bare. But when we lift our gaze to moon and stars, a different desire is stirred for the force that animates the depths of space, into whose jaws we yearn and fear to jump and be utterly consumed, chewed and compressed into diamond. We are the food for the holy feast. Just quickly, I'm going to introduce myself. Um, so I'm, my name is Eva. Um, I've been living in Bath for um, about seven years. Um, and very recently, I kind of started um, calling Bath my home. And that is definitely somehow related to the fact that in the last few years, I, I became a lot more involved in the local community. Um, and about two years ago, um, when um, I kind of got quite interested in, in, I guess, in climate crisis and what was going on in the world, um, I went out and spoke to some of the um, XR members because I was just fascinated, you know, what happens that ordinary people that kind of go about their days and they're not quote unquote activists decide to join, a, you know, a fairly, I suppose, um, radical, at least in image group like XR. Uh, and I was just interested in that image of, of an activist. So I have a couple of readings um, of those interviews that I conducted with people. I will keep them anonymous, um, but I thought what they shared was really interesting. <clears throat> so it's like a drug addiction. A doctor might tell you to stop, that it will kill you, yet you continue to do what harms you. We've become addicted to our current way of life, which is all about expansion and consumption. 
Ultimately, it requires a fundamental shift in our collective consciousness to stop seeing the planet as something separate from us. We can intellectualize climate crisis, but unless we feel it, we will continue to hold on to a narrative that allows us to ignore the facts. I come from a meditation background and have been studying our relationship with the world for years. What does it mean when I say, I am? How do we collectively expand our consciousness to feel ourselves as part of the planet? I am a director at a big firm, one of the biggest financial services organizations in the world. Due to the air travel, the business is responsible for the release of a huge amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. The current accounting system doesn't adequately account for it. If we're properly accounted for, I am sure it would change the business attitude to air travel. It is something I have recently looked into and was disappointed to find that the policy was to reduce air travel by 10% by 2025, which is not nearly enough to avoid the disaster. My firm, with its, with its competitors, is fixated on short-term profits and does not appear to have woken up to the fact that if they carry on as they are, there is a good chance there will be no business in 20 to 30 years' time. The philosophy of Extinction Rebellion is not about blaming or shaming individuals, but demanding action from the governments and, being and big organizations. XR gives me a sense of work discipline around climate action. I really hoped we had more time, but maybe we are just at the end of the cycle. Perhaps this is how our, this is how our civilization ends. But I have grandchildren, which is why I feel such a strong obligation to take action. Um, I don't know if I have a moment to read another reading. Yeah, okay. So this is another shorter one. I fell into it accidentally for a group of friends with similar interests. It can be intimidating at first. There are a lot of people who are older than me with more experience and knowledge on the issue. I feel a lot of guilt if, I'm not, if I think I'm not doing enough. At, what point, at one point, every decision in my life was made around action against climate crisis. It feels like as students, we could devote our entire lives to it and we still wouldn't be able to do enough. Like we don't have time to pursue our passions and interests when the world is on fire. It's a huge burden to carry and it can feel overwhelming. We, the youth, are the ones who will be dealing with the consequences of climate crisis. So we can't be the one who are out of the picture when we're creating solutions. I understand how older people can live their entire lives without changing their ways because they haven't been taught otherwise. And it's only now they are being asked to change. We, the youth, don't need to change our ways because we don't have any. The crisis is all we've ever known. I feel frustrated with the system that we live in. I go to an Extinction Rebellion meeting and then I shop at a supermarket. But not being perfect is an excuse for inaction. Ultimately, we can never do enough. We can only do our best. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, there's so much that's been said this evening that kind of um, resonates with my journey, I guess, from 
being somebody who has a Celtic heritage and just has a really deep rooted connection with plants and animals. And I guess that's where my journey for all of this work started. Um, I'm, I'm an activist, I would call myself an activist. I think I've been active in one way or another my entire life, but I'm not the kind of activist that I think most people typically associate with Extinction Rebellion. Um, I'm a psychologist by training and I'm a mum of three and I have never been arrested and I've got no intention of being arrested ever. Um, well, maybe one day, we'll see. But my work kind of centres around the human experience of um, our changing climate and um, ecology. Um, and I'm particularly focused at the moment on um, supporting um, regenerative and caring networks um, sort of within ourselves and how we can take care of ourselves um, through this sort of fluid, um, unpredictable upheaval that we're all facing and so much about what people have said already about this coping the idea of coping with grief and loss and this stuff all being really really hard to look at um, and for many of us myself included there's a lot of time that I don't want to look at that I don't want to think about it um, but I am consciously at the moment creating space for myself to look at that and to care for myself through that process of um, acknowledgement. Um, and I'm very keen to, care, to sort of create caring, supportive networks around me and with small, within small communities around me. And um, I'm hosting a sort of um, uh, well-being group in a woodland space at the moment um, which is actually fractured into pairs for the time being for COVID restriction reasons. Um, but that's my focus at the moment is sort of well-being within small groups um, and the language and discourse around climate anxiety and grief and overwhelm with all of those emotions. And I think it's really important that we all have safe spaces, that we can have those conversations and that we also have the language in our lexicon to discuss these new um, these new feelings because they're things that people don't necessarily or haven't historically had the language to describe. Um, there's this um, there's a woman called Joanna Macy that I'd like to recommend everybody who hasn't heard of her before to look her up and look up the work that reconnects and also active hope. Um, and she talks and the writers that, that work with her talk a lot about um, how we can create regenerative practices for ourselves, which I think we're all getting quite good at, but regenerative practices within small communities. But then how we can look at things like um, econ the economy and banking and mobile phone networks and all of these other things that we can do regeneratively and without oppression and without abuse um, of our planet and of the planet's inhabitants. And I think I'm really interested in how um, we, can, we can learn about and, and use our knowledge of psychology to support transitions that we're all gonna need to take from here 
from capitalism, from the way we live and exist and use use the earth um, to ways that we can be more um, collaborative with each other and, and caring and nurturing for each other and for our planet. Um, yeah, so that's the work that I'm doing a lot of that um, with Extinction Rebellion, but also on on my own private practice and sort of social enterprise work um, at the moment. Um, and I really do encourage people um, to find safe spaces that they can explore their emotions around all of this massive stuff that we're talking about. Um, and whether or not um, it's ever occurred to people before that Extinction Rebellion might be a place that you could do that, um, I would certainly encourage people that it may be or that there may be other groups that um, that exist that, that you can go into and explore those feelings and, yeah, do, because it's um, really productive and empowering, actually, to, like I think Hamish said, get through that grief and get through that trauma into this place of feeling, like, compelled and motivated and driven to act and... Yeah, that's where I'm at now. So it feels pretty good. Um, yeah, thank you for letting me have the space to talk. And it's lovely to be here with, yeah, all of you. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, great to hear all of these stories um, and to see lots of familiar faces. Um, yes, yeah, so my, <clears throat> my story with uh, like activism and like ecological awareness uh, started when I moved on to this boat that I'm in now, uh, which is my home. And I've lived on here since I was 16. Um, so it's nearly seven years now. Um, and I think that started started in me these like shifts of environmental awareness and sort of becoming uh, n- not in tune with the, the sort of destruction, but the, the beauty of it and the awe. Um, and I think it was only a few years later I really sort of came to terms with the more difficult stuff. Um, and actually that was what propelled me into action. Um, so I sort of started my journey actually with uh, permaculture and the more solution orientated uh, side to the climate, um, this sort of climate moment. So uh, I think starting from that platform of uh, been in permaculture farms, eco villages. I sort of travelled around for a couple of years. Went to uh, Capt in Wales, and lots of sort of global sustainability places. Um, I think that that has really been a driving force for my type of activism, which has been uh, quite hopeful, but not from a sort of you know blind optimist perspective, but a real hope of being engaged with this and saying, you know, whatever the chances, it's worth it. We are worth sustaining. We are worth fighting for this no matter what um yeah so I'm really <clears throat> yeah I, f- I think there's a sort of thread here which is about what it means to be an activist um especially in these times when it's really uncertain what to do um and I just feel like everyone here is really a great model for all the diversity of, of activisms um and so I'm really grateful for all of you and feel a lot of uh, respect for you all for all of the different ways in which we act on the same issue and that's what really brings us together um and there is there is the oppositional activism which is like the no and the on the streets and being reactive and um opposing and that's 
I think what I've been engaged in the last couple of years, but then there's also this uh, really beautiful, necessary, creative, regenerative work, which is uh, building the new and often in the shell of the old, it's where it is coming through. Like, you know, when a seed decays in its pea pod and it sort of springs through into new life. Um, so I feel like that's, um, yeah, I really want to honour not to see activism in a binary way of just this sort of typical view on the street, but this really sort of broad way um, about what is regenerative activism um, and what is this creation of alternatives. Um, and that for me is why uh, my sort of focus recently has been on permaculture and uh, permaculture is just this sort of, uh, to put it brief, is a sort of a design science to look at um, practical solutions to the things we're facing, but actually framing it in a way that these solutions are actually a much more beautiful way to live and connect and be with each other and with our homes and with uh, growing spaces um, and all of that. Um, but I think given that, despite that sort of positive outlook, it was really like the grief and the fear um, and the sort of despair. Uh, it was really when I connected to those things a couple of years ago that that really sort of uh, put forward a much more uh, motivated and driven activism because I was able to channel them into uh, things like Extinction Rebellion and being arrested and the youth climate strikes and all of that sort of thing. Um, so maybe that's sort of something other people have experienced going through those <clears throat> sort of down into the depths has really uh, been actually really beneficial. So I'd really encourage people, other people that are sharing today to share their experiences of, of that as well as the really hopeful positive stuff. Um, and there is a lot of grounds for hope from all of these things people have shared today. Um, I just wanted to sort of finish with this um, activity we did at one of the youth climate strikes um, in Bath. So it was, um, it was one we'd just done. The previous strike had been like a grief march and a very much about those sort of, it was very powerful, all these young people on this sort of almost funeral-like march, thousands through Bath. And then the week after that, we sort of did a a bit more of a um, sort of visioning session, a bit like this, is, which is kind of what Dream Space is trying to create, is this sort of vision, what's our personal and collective visions for this transformation. Um, and it was just this, it was based on Rob Hopkins' What If work of, you know, what if we build this regenerative culture? What if we have car-free streets, that sort of thing? And it's just a beautiful moment that came to me earlier that just to reflect upon that we are in uh, the center of Southgate amongst you know all of all of the, the chaos of you know consumerism and everything like that and we were there with this space with all of the youth climate strikers um, and we sort of opened up this space of visioning and of this what if and then different people of all like ages came up um, and spoke and just started their sentence with what if um, so there were a few things from that were like uh, what if Bath was a garden city? Uh, what if there were rooftop beehives? What if those car parks were turned to allotments? Um, you know, what if we protected our ecological sites like the Tufa Fields? Uh, what if there were market gardens again everywhere around Bath? What if you heard birdsong as you walk through the city? What if you breathe in fresh air um, everywhere you walk? Um, what if there were community fruit and nut orchards? Uh, all around Bath, what if we regenerated land um, and so on. And that was like just a really beautiful activity that uh, brought us into this sort of uh, quite motivating space to connect. Um, so I just want to sort of put that out there as a 
as a useful tool for kind of for what dream space is trying to create as well um and just finally um i think we're in this really interesting phase for activism in this like um this moment right now where it's really difficult to know what to do um but i think also the the sort of potential and the appetite for change is like huge at the moment like people changing things suddenly overnight um so i think it's a really incredible space for this dream space thing to be emerging um because it's this powerful moment where people are receptive to change um like at, with the market garden i run and our veg boxes for from people that would have never considered doing it before but suddenly supermarket shelves are empty and there's this pandemic and suddenly people are massively changing their diets and you get people coming to the market saying oh, i've gone like vegan overnight and done all these things and i'm just going to shop 100 local and um and it's really hopeful and inspiring and it's really made me realize that this is a transformative as well as a challenging moment and we need to adapt our ways of activism to uh, reflect that and also be open to the creative regenerative activism as well as the oppositional and we need to find new ways to oppose as well in this time and we still need to uh, keep protests going and keep holding uh, people in power accountable and direct action and all of that uh, we just need need both and we need to respond to this moment and i think this space is a really good sort of platform to help us keep going and to um yeah also have this creative emergence of this sort of regenerative culture that we want to see and yeah thanks everyone for sharing and look forward to connecting with you all in the future hopefully in person i find it all a bit weird talking to a screen <laughs> welcome to dream space Listen, share, dream. Hi everyone, and thank you again for listening. This brings us to the end of this podcast episode, and I would just like to take this moment to thank all of our storytellers for sharing with us and invite you, if you haven't already, to consider sharing your story. Our website is going to be open for submissions for the foreseeable future. We're going to be sharing everything that comes forward through our social media platforms and our online exhibition, which will continue to update so that more inspiring voices from Bath can be heard, allowing incredible change to happen in the city. You know, I just keep thinking about the fact that 2020 was the hottest year on record. I mean, we just seem to be breaking records left, right and centre. And it is a terrifying reality particularly when most of the world's population didn't go anywhere and life as we know it was on hold. However, despite this huge, huge challenge ahead of us, I do feel hopeful. And genuinely, the reason I feel hopeful is because I have been hearing stories like this, whether it's knowing that there is a way through climate grief or hearing about all the brilliant work happening on a local level which is being led by grassroots community organisations. You know, we're not waiting for change to happen elsewhere. We're taking that and owning it. And it's just really inspiring. So I hope you're also taking something positive from this episode as well. And if you'd like to revisit any of the stories that you've heard, you can explore them through our online gallery at www.thedreamspace.co.uk. And also you can explore the other stories that have been shared with us which reveal what life has been like in the pandemic and also what it's like to experience racism here in Bath. And of course, this is where you can share your story as well. 
But before I go, I do just want to tell you what we have in store for this year. So at the moment, at the time I'm recording this podcast, our efforts are very much focused on helping these incredible stories travel far and wide across Bath. But we're also, alongside this work, looking to host more community gatherings because we believe that as the world begins to reawaken and step fully into this new normal, we're going to need more spaces to listen to each other, to share and dream together. So if you're interested in joining some of these gatherings as they unfold, please do subscribe to our newsletter. You can do this through our website. And then that way you will be able to find out when our next round of gatherings are and also discover more stories as they emerge. But until then, thank you for listening to this Dream Space podcast episode. Welcome to Dream Space. Listen, share, dream. Dream Space is a community-led creative project conceived and convened by Good for Nothing in partnership with Wild Labs. It is supported by the National Lottery Community Fund's Emerging Futures Programme. For more information, please visit www.thedreamspace.co.uk. Send them your heart So they know that someone cares And their lives Will be stronger and free As God has shown us I turn and stone to bread And so we all Just lend a helping hand We are dream space we are the locals We are the ones who shape the city of Bath So let's start listening There's some hope we're bringing By sharing our own tales Yes, it's true, we'll make a better city Just you and me